What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hey, this is Matt Kennedy from Pod Sequentialism with Matt Kennedy, and I love buying my comics at Meltdown Comics, and I know you do too, so I'm going to give you a little gift, and that gift is a discount. So if you use my password, which is going to be Pod Sequentialism Rocks, to any of the employees that work here at checkout, they will give you a discount on your comics. How much is that discount? 11%. Can't beat that with a bag of hammers. Hello and welcome to Pod Sequentialism. I am your host, Matt Kennedy. This is a production of Meltdown Comics and Collectibles and La Luz de Jesus Gallery. And um, this show is going to be a bit of a departure for us in that um, we're going to be talking about something that we've really never talked about on the, on the cast, but it totally ties into what I think the main tenet of the show is about, which is how to make um, personal obsessions and interests into you know careers. And... What makes this especially gratifying for me and um, possibly annoying for everybody else is uh, that there's going to be some really extreme um, Boston accents in the course of this show. And uh, when there's more than one of us in the room, um, my my accent goes completely back to what it was in high school. And um, so without further ado, I'm going to welcome to the program uh, my very good friend, Dan Madigan. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me here. Absolutely. Now, uh, Dan, for the uninitiated, um, big wrestling guy. Um, you know, you worked for WWE for, was it two or three years? Uh, about, it was there for a year, but I did three years worth of work in the time I was there. Well, that's no, for li- sure. Literally, it was like 100 hours a week, 80, 80 100 hours a week. Yeah. 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 And so, um, by the time you left, you were, um, directing and probably what, producing Monday Night Raw yeah. and SmackDown. SmackDown, yeah. The two shows. And it's a relentless schedule. Oh, it was, uh, when I first went to, um... Long story short, when Stephanie McMahon read some of my stuff, mm-hmm. uh, she thought it was crazy. Mm-hmm. And she said, I have to meet this guy. And I wrote this um, little backstory before. You know, we've, we're both in the same neck, literally the same neck of the woods. Yeah. And I grew up watching all this stuff. And, you know, as a kid, you take it all in. So when I met Stephanie um, and she read my stuff, which is based upon uh, mass wrestling, uh, a witch's coven, and an exorcism all tied together... Um, she said, would you like to write for the show? And mm-hmm. my response was, people write that stuff? <laughs> and, and you know, and I said, yeah. So I, you know, I looked behind the curtain. Yeah. And um, she said to me flat out, she goes, this is the toughest job in show business. Mm-hmm. We work seven days a week. Uh, there's no holidays. There's no days off. Um, no off season. Right. And you'll work maybe 80 hours more a week. And I just said, I'll do it. Yeah. God knows why I said it, but I said, yeah. And that started it, you know. Now, the... Um to back up a little bit, and in talking about um, professional wrestling is, of course, entertainment, and it's a sports entertainment. And um, I don't think it can be argued. I don't think anybody works harder than wrestlers. That um, the amount of on-camera time that people get in wrestling exceeds any other sport except for maybe baseball. And the physicality of it, of course, is constant. It's You hit it on the head. And, um that's a great point. But so a lot of times you, you get your wrestling fans and it's the non-wrestling fans. And the mm-hmm. non-wrestling fans always, you know, oh, it's wrestling. Yeah. But to put a show on, like any small show, any big show, but like just take the WWE, that was a rock and roll circus. Yeah. And we pulled into town. We had um, 10, 12, 13, 18 wheelers. We, it, we had uh, a production crew that was has rivaled anyone in Hollywood mm. and it was just go, go, go. We were shooting live and besides creating the storylines and arcs for the characters, you know, you, we help with the promos and these wrestlers have to, you know, go over the match in the head, figure out what's going to happen, you know, the, the final plus maybe two, three, four pages of, of um, promos. Yeah. And they have to get this stuff down and, and this is the day of the show. Yeah. This is the day of, I mean, we would, 
hopefully get in uh, an arena at 10, maybe 11. And maybe from noon to 3, you're going everything over the match, and then you're looking over your stuff. So literally, we were live. We were just... Um, from the hip sometimes yeah and that was it so these guys really give body and soul and they'll just they'll do like a page promos like a three pages but they got it down and it's it's funny because people have always been critical i think of the acting aspect of wrestling which kind of came in in the 80s and definitely under the mcmahon oh, yeah, banner yeah. of wrestling that there had been you know your promos that people would do like you know they do the act and we've all seen you know the whole um you know, Andy, Andy Kaufman, Andy Kaufman yeah. thing, you know, and, and making a fake rivalry and, and people not knowing that that was a fake rivalry really until years after Kaufman was dead. And, and when the movie was being made and, um, you know, his accomplice and all of this still very active in wrestling. Oh, Jerry Lawler. Jerry would tell me stories and stuff. And he really had, uh, he really loved Andy, but Andy got it. Andy really, because when that was going on, you know, the, the country was still divided in territories. And first, yeah. um, Andy brought that angle uh, to Vince McMahon. Yeah, and Vince didn't get it. He would, and and if and believe it or not, Vince I think would have it would have gone a different way. Yeah, but um, he took it down to Jerry. Jerry realized what, what he had, and Jerry ran that territory. Jerry, he still does the Memphis territory. That's yeah. that's lawless territory. So and that was AWA country, um, right? The NWA down the AWA um, is farther up north, like uh, Minneapolis and stuff like that. Like, um, but that was all. But he had his own within the NWA. He had his own little fiefdom there, right. you know, his own little promotion, and he called the shots, and he saw what was going on. And that angle, we would see parts of it on David Letterman here yep. and there, but that was like a over two, three-year angle. And guys, not just Lala, but Nick Bockwinkle was in it, and there was uh, Jimmy Hart was Jimmy in it. Jimmy Hart, yeah. And, and so there's all these great, great guys who, who saw the potential, and Andy Kaufman saw what wrestling was about. He saw his performance art. He really, he looked behind everything. He saw what it was. It was manipulation of the crowd. And when you see the crowd go crazy with him, I go, oh, he, yeah. he really got it. And then he, you know, he understood it. He was friends with Freddie Blassie. Yep. And, um, you know, and it's just, and he was, a, you know. Um, My dinner with Blassie is a yeah, classic. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's great. And then our friend, you know, our friend Eric. Yep, Eric Caden. Yeah, Eric Caden, rest in, uh, rest in peace. Um, you know, he was, in, I mean, Eric. Flower Air Club. Yeah, oh, yeah. Eric told me great, great stories. He, Eric hooked me up a lot with stuff. So, you know, you meet some really great people in wrestling, you meet some lousy people, but it's like anything else. It's like, yeah. but, but wrestling's always been that one, you know, it's something that everyone knows. It's but, something the, everyone knows. The point I was going to make is that the, um, the schedule is so relentless that um, even if you are a trained thespian, you know, if, if you do a play, and you, I mean, you have the luxury in doing a play of doing the exact same performance every night, night after night, maybe do it twice a night. You know, if, if you didn't have your, your lines down specifically by the first performance, a weekend of the show you do. Because it's the same thing night after night after night. And it's performance and it takes a lot out of you, but it's the same thing. Wrestling is akin to this, the scheduling of soap operas. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, my, friend, my friend Jeff is on General Hospital. And they just won a, a daytime Emmy, and and he told me that he saw you know Fiona Hughes give a performance in a scene that they were in that if she had not been on a soap opera would have been an Oscar worthy performance, but of course was the camera in the right place to catch the vantage point of that performance that she gave, which in soap operas is one take. There is one chance in a soap opera these days to get that scene in the can and done and move on because you're shooting every day. You know, you're shooting a one hour program every day. And it's just, it's it's so challenging to be able to make everything perfect. It's relentless. It's and so people relentless. see what's wrong with it rather than necessarily what's right with oh, it all the time. I, you know, I, I was thinking about that because I listened to a lot of old radio shows. Mm -hmm. I used to, my dad was in the 70s, used to give me the cassettes. I listened to all the radio shows. And some of those shows were daily shows. Yeah. And you got to constantly crank that out and you've got to make sure that it's different, it's not stale. And you and then that's the writer and director doing it. We'll see the writer, then you get the performers doing it. Mm -hmm. And it's it's just constant and then with wrestling as you said soap operas the characters are always evolving or yep. some, some cases devolving yeah and so there's that there's these arcs you to think about and stuff from baby face to heel from heel to baby yeah, face and, and then all the complications all, in between and and that is and, and I think wrestling has always been um, the great medium for storytelling I, I explained this 
to people that interested in my son, uh, storytelling. Storytelling is characters that are contrasting each other that create conflict. And without conflict, there's no story. Whether it's a comedy right. or a drama, a musical, conflict is the engine that moves everything. And in wrestling, there is no better... Um, there's no better symbol for that. That's I mean, you've got the good guy, which you said it's a baby face, a face, and the bad guy is called the heel, and that gets the ball going. And I've, when I worked in wrestling, um, I was always working with the heels. Mm-hmm. That's I seemed akin to that, that persona and stuff. That was always because now you it, worked with Triple H quite a bit. I worked with Triple H. I worked with Undertaker, Eddie Guerrero, Kane, Kane. Who you named your son after? Well, no, that's it's it, you, <laughs> this, you, it's my my son's name is Kane. But this is one of the true stories, um, and I don't tell many of them. Um, <laughs> but we had the name picked out prior before I went to work in pro wrestling. I mm-hmm. said Kane Madigan. It sounds like a private detective in the 30s and 40s. Yeah, yeah. You know? So it's, it's a strong name. So in it has many variations in different cultures. So we like the name Kane, K-A-N-E. And someone said, did you name him after the Bible? I said, yeah, the first recorded murderers was my son. That's what I want. Because <laughs> Satan was taken. Yeah. Uh, but no, we, we named him Kane. And ironically, the first movie I sold was to was for Kane. Right. Was uh, the script for Kane. That was, was that the first WWE film? It was. They yeah. they, they launched their career on, on my back. I, was, I feel so proud. You know, <laughs> I feel another Daryl Zanuck in the making. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they decided. I mean, and it made sense to I me mean, to come out of the gate if you're a, a wrestling, you know, promotion mm-hmm. and wrestling and horror films always had that strong crossover mm-hmm. and Kane was a hot character then he's still a hot character now he's a great you know Glenn's a good actor good guy and uh, he had a big fan base so it only makes sense because you know you know the business horror movies they'll make the money back eventually yeah like they're the least sometimes the least to pr- create and produce but they, they have a bigger fan base and wrestling and horror films have that big crossover fan base yeah and so there was some things that issues with that movie we'll talk about that later if you want but there was some things that could have gone a different way but it is it is what it is now when you first approached the McMahons or when they first became aware of you they were looking at your script work. Yeah. Um, I, ICM represents me, um, had, does, whatever. And um, what they do is they send out your script or your writing samples to different um, producers or corporations, you know, companies who are looking for stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, w, w Films had just opened up in Hollywood. Um, right over by Be- Netflix, yeah, Beverly, right? Yeah, Beverly Hills at the yeah. time, yeah. And so they read my stuff, they liked my stuff, and we had a general meeting and they said, you know, your stuff fits what we want to do. I didn't know at the time what they wanted to do. Right. But we started talking, and we started, I started talking to the guys over there and we started talking about wrestling mm-hmm. and wrestling and, you know, and they said, you know more about wrestling than anyone we know. And yeah, this is sort of, and we, we need to go back yeah. there a little bit because before you ever had this even notion that you would be working for WWE. I mean, you've been grappling for years. Yeah, yeah. You you studied with Gene LaBelle. Gene LaBelle, yeah. You know, Gene LaBelle very famously um, marched Bruce Lee around the set of Enter the Dragon in a headlock. I think it was the Green Hornet, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, on the set of the Green yeah, Hornet, yeah. Um, who very famously um, knocked yeah. out Steven Seagal on yeah, the set I've, of yeah, Glimmer Man. I've, yeah, I've heard that. And, and we have a mutual <laughs> friend who, my friend Kevin. Yep, Kevin. Broadbin. Broadbin. Broke Glimmer Man. I don't know if it was it on the set, but yeah, Gene is very, but I, my dad was a champion wrestler, so I grew up yep. wrestling and stuff. And he and, trained Tony Atlas, I trained with Tony my Atlas. Di- my dad knew those guys. Um, my dad used to wrestle Doug Bluebaugh, and he won a gold medal in the 1960 Olympics. Mm-hmm. So my dad knew some of these cats. He was My dad was a bodybuilder, so he owned a gym in, uh, in, uh, in Lawrence, Massachusetts. Yep. In Lawrence. Uh, One of the holy trinity yeah. or unholy <laughs> trinities of city that, cities that begin with L in Massachusetts Lowell, that are the worst places to live in the world. Literally. Literally, Lynn, Lowell, Lawrence, Lawrence. literally, literally, the worst places. If I was shot, Lawrence, I would crawl just to die in Methuen. <laughs> I would, I would, I would summon all the strength just to crawl off the city limits. But uh, I wanted to be a pro wrestler. I was uh, making, um, I was looking into Killer Kowalski's wrestling school. Now, Killer Kowalski was a yeah. major, major name in the 50s, 60s. Bob Clune was a teacher at my junior high school. Really? Yeah. Bob Clune was was a pretty big regional yeah. wrestler in in New England. Well, it, because the at back in the day, in the day, um, up until ba- basically the uh, eight, late eighties, mid eighties, um, 
wrestling was all territorial. It yeah. was all divided up. I mean, uh, we ha- we were from the same place. We were from literally the same place. So we were New England, yep. and then New Jersey, and, and every part of the country was broken up. Florida, Texas had five or six promotions. It's so big. Out here, you had Mike LaBelle, Gene's brother, running the Olympic. Yep. You had Roy Shire was up north. You had Joe Blanchard ran Texas. Uh, uh, Gory Guerrero ran El Paso. You had um, the, um, Von Erichs running Texas also. Mm-hmm. Up north, you had... Um, di- um, Dick the Bruiser was up there. Vern Gagne ran a promotion. So literally the country was divided up by territories. And as a kid, all you see is regional television, local television. So if you can believe it, as a kid, I never knew there was a a Dusty Rhodes or a Ric Flair or Harley Race, if you could believe that. I mean, I was just... That started to come in a little bit more in my era, and I'm I'm a little bit younger than you. But I remember when they would switch from, you know, live at Boston Garden or whatever whatever it was, it was taped. But it would be, they would jump to... Memphis. Yeah. TBS sometimes of Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, 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 right before Ted Turner, I think, got in, but they, they were uh, showing all this stuff. And, 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 they would sh- and they would shoot their their promotion inside a studio. Yeah. Which was different. The time was very, you know, I thought that was kind of weird. We so used to seeing from, the, like I said, the Boston Garden, wherever they were uh, shooting from, these big crowds. And, yep. and the way it was set up was like an old fight where they'd have the one one light over the ring and yep. the crowd would black it out and stuff. And, and then a Chiron yeah. with uh, names would float into the screen. Exactly. Some sort of video toaster type of uh, it, editing it, job. It was, the, the most prim- it was like working an Etch-A-Sketch. Yeah. And it really, the not just the business, but the way the business has been presented has really evolved. Yeah. I mean, really, and you talked about like um, the grueling schedule. Uh, WrestleMania 20, I worked through WrestleMania 20, that was a while ago, but you know, that's our Super Bowl, that's the Academy Awards, that's our NASCAR, all rolled up in one. Yeah. Literally, it's it's the culmination of a whole year for that one show. It's like a four-hour... Oh, that year was almost like a five-hour show. Yeah. And then that's on a Sunday, and the next day, Monday, we do Monday Night Raw. Yeah. Then Tuesday, SmackDown. There's no... There is no day off. There yeah. is no, I mean... After the Super Bowl, you take a season off. The, you know, there is nothing. You go back and you're taking bumps and hits, and you're traveling, and it's just it's it's a constant, constant grind. And I think that's part that's part of the problem with the business. It's just, yeah. it's just too strenuous. It's amazing to me actually that more people aren't injured to the point like which has happened recently. I think a, a week ago. Um, someone was taken out on a stretcher from hitting oh, that, the top rope. Yeah, that was the. Um, that was, a, a, I think, payback was the, uh, uh, he's a lighter, um, I just went blank. Lighter weight but, division. Yeah, but he, he, I mean, that's, I mean, that's scary. That's, I mean, you forget these guys are, I mean, I was there when um, Billy Kidman did a shooting star press, uh, shooting star, and uh, he's done it 500 times. Yeah. 500 times. And he's great at it. And he was in a match against Chavo Guerrero. Yep. And and Chavo's another great uh, performer from the Guerrero family. Mm-hmm. And he literally was maybe a half an inch the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And the knee, uh, Billy's knee, caught Chavo in the temple. And I'm, oh. I'm standing backstage with Vince McMahon. Could have killed him. Yeah. Well, Vince Vince said he goes. Uh, he, Vince looked at me. And goes. Oh, I think he's dead. You know, not maybe half hard, but it was, Chavo just went flat. And then. I forget. I think it was Paul London was in the ring and Jamie Noble, and they um, they signaled the real signals to bring the doctor in, and and it's kind of it's kind of a sobering because they took Chavo out in a stretcher, and he's out of it. And his cousin Eddie Guerrero, his uncle, excuse me, his uncle Eddie Guerrero, was holding his hand next to him and going to the ambulance. And I, I hit Eddie's music. I said, Eddie, you got to go. You're up. You got to go. Yeah, your music's you, you, on. You got to go, Eddie. You got to go. And you know, I had you know, and I had to pull him away for his, his nephew and go into the heat to perform. Yeah, and that's literally the case. The show must go on. And Eddie Guerrero um, yeah, yeah. passed away not too long after that. No, not too. Eddie Eddie died uh, November thirteenth on my wedding anniversary. Yeah, and I remember um, I got a call from Michael Cole, the announcer. Cole's a friend of mine, mm-hmm. um, and I see. Um, when I get to the phone, it said Michael Cole, and I played the voice back, and it said, uh, "Danny, this is Cole. You should hear it from me." But uh, Eddie Guerrero passed away last night. When uh, we, you know, I knew he liked you a lot, and you guys are friends, but you should hear it from me. And, and I was like, "Wow, that's sobering." And, yeah. Uh, he was 38. I mean, the nicest, literally the nicest, nicest guy I'd want to meet. Just a great guy, great family uh, man, great husband and father. And he dies brushing his teeth. But but yeah. he, but he had literally gone through. His body had gone through hell for that business. Yeah, I mean, um, it doesn't it doesn't give up, and you're afraid to give up because you know you spend years and years working the circuit, work with the regions, working your way up, and you're getting a push finally, you know, on the business, and you get injured. Yeah, and 
can sideline every the could, company's plans, you which could, makes you you're gone. You yeah. could be, and so guys won't say a word. They'll yeah. keep their mouth. And there's that also that that macho type of locker room bravado where you can't you got to suck it up. But yeah, you, you, you got to pretend that you got to smile through the pain. No, but and, that, well, and that's why there's a roster of dead guys who was they're not smiling anymore. Yeah, you know. And then there's a lot of you know. And I'm not speaking out of school. People know this. There's a lot of painkillers involved. Yep. There was a lot of um. And in the day, like in the 70s and 80s and 90s, the recreational drugs were just out of control. Yeah. Out of control. But that- Certainly, you know, the, the era of Jake the Snake. Oh. And um, and some of those guys, you know, right when, when WCW had broken away from WWF before they became WWE, um, a lot of the salaries getting thrown around were astronomical. Huge money. And that money's gone. I mean, the, the the salaries that some of those guys were getting then is gone. And, of course, WCW had a chance to really um, take over, and they were beating in the ratings for a while. But when it fell, it fell hard right. because they just didn't know what to do with this model. No, they didn't know what to sustain. And, the, and, and to Vince, Vince's credit, I mean, we're talking Vince himself, Vince McMahon Jr., mm-hmm. is third generation in the business. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the WCW guys, they were, you know, um, they were wrestlers and book, but they weren't. They didn't have Vince's pedigree, right? And Vince, Vince really shines in when the chips are down with this competition. And I think you know WCW had a that the Monday Night Wars. It's a it's a great story. It's, it's a great documentary out to watch, and it really shows how it was literally they were fighting for the life of the company, yeah, back and forth. And it was a will of contrition. And but Vince had those, you know, he had the, the like the Stone Coles and the Kurt Angles. Well, he had a, he had a very deep bench of of young talent that he could rely on to bring in. Whereas WCW made their cut their teeth, so to speak, on buying out the contracts well, of the biggest stars who are really not that fun to watch anymore. No, and you know these these guys are like, you know what? I got hurt for Vince. Now I got my paycheck. Now I'm going to make my money and I'm going to ride this out into retirement. And so you had. All of these bigger names, these guys. bigger names that just—it wasn't as fun to watch. No. And I, I, you know, I don't want to mention names, but this, you know, this like I think in a way TNN, TNN did the same, yeah, the same thing. It was sort of like you know, um, it, and it's 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 a it's a benchmark. It's like if you can't make it for Vince, then we'll make it somewhere else. You know, I mean, but that's you know, Vince is the biggest game in town. Yeah, uh, on that level, on that level, there's yeah. no one. There is well, no. Yeah, one. There's, there's, and it, now there's, there's nobody. No, there's a few things. I mean, I mean, he bought out every. He bought out the competition. I mean, I think I'm, I'm amazed. I'm amazed that TNA, which I don't know how long the, the, the fact is still going, but there's a couple promotions now I'm impressed with. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a local one, uh, Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. Mm-hmm. David Marquez runs. And I know some people, and he had some really good talent. And he runs it. He used to run it out of Hollywood, then out of Glendale. It's up in, um, he does Santa Barbara tapings now. But he yeah. puts a really good show on. This is his promotion. And you could see when I watch his show, it, it, it harkens back to watching wrestling in the 70s. Yeah. Because you could, you could tell one guy's, he's got a, a core of guys working. ECW was like that for East, me. ECW was quite the phenomenon. Because I worked with Paul Heyman. Yeah. And that was lightning in a bottle. That was that was the right place, the right time. And I, you know, I, I said in a, in a book um, there's a quote if the WWE was Stadium Rock mm-hmm. you know, the big Stadium Rock ECW was punk yeah it was, it was up the street and Paul's a very sh- sharp um, s- um, smart guy very savvy street savvy and he knew um, he really brought the crowd into it the, real, the crowd was a big factor in it and um, some of the guys and, and some of the guys but the, punk rock isn't the same no it's good on no. the stage of the Centrum that it is at the and, paradise, and, and, or, or like in the Ratskeller. Yeah, you know? and, and that's kind of the thing is that they had to understand that the best way that was going to work out for everybody was that people needed to graduate off into that bigger, that yeah. bigger attraction. Well, it, it, it was a waypoint. It wasn't. A, it wasn't it was a, its own it, thing. It was a jumping up. The, the thing. See, Paul told me some good stories, and um, and I don't do them justice, but he had the chance to go on a bigger level at ECW. Yeah. It didn't work out because. Um, he made a comment once when they tried to revive ECW a couple of years back. He said to me, he goes, listen, if SmackDown is blue and Raw is red, those are the colors, they, those, ECW cannot be purple. And yeah. I, knew, I knew exactly what he was saying. Um, when Paul's in charge of his show, when Paul's running a promotion and he's the booker, um, it, it's creative. It's different. Um, he didn't really care what people, he was kind of 
he was in tune with the with the fans. Mm-hmm. And ECW was a great. I mean, you had some great talent come out of there. Rob you Van Dam. Rob Van Dam. You had everyone. I mean, you had Ray Mysterio Jr. come Ray, out of there. Ray. Uh, he worked for for a while. I think um, you had uh, Eddie Guerrero was out yep. there. Dean Malenko was out there. Chris Benoit was out there. Yep. Chris Jericho. Steve Austin came. Out. So literally. Um, he was really bringing some great talent on and letting them shine on their own. And of course, WCW, um, WWE, WWF at the time, they saw and they started cherry picking. Yeah. So it was, it was hard for Paul to maintain when someone's throwing a bigger paycheck around some of your top yeah. guys. And, you know, ECW had a great run. It was uh, fantastic. It, it really was. Um, it, was a, it was a time where a lot of big fat guys wearing Misfits t-shirts could yeah. go and, and celebrate <laughs> together. You know, but after that, it was, um, you can't, re- you can't um, get that again. There's a show on today, though, um, uh, Lucha Underground yeah. on the El Rey Network. That's um, Robert Rodriguez's network. And I'm really impressed. I mean, I went to a taping. A friend of mine, Chris DeJoseph, he, he used to work at the WWE. He's there now, one of the guys behind the scenes. It's a phenomenal show. I went to one that's called Aztec Warfare, which is their battle royale. Mm-hmm. And I was there. Some people may not, but I was blown away by the wrestling. I was blown away how they were just amazing spots. And it was it was fantastic. And they got it right. It's not a big venue. Yeah. Uh, they don't they don't tour, um, which is a big, which is a killer. I mean, so you, you have the crowds come to you. You create the venue. Well, that's they the, come the to new you. mold for, um, what is it? Um, Lollapalooza. Yeah. Then now Lollapalooza is in Chicago every year. It's not a touring festival. Yeah. They realize that the touring festivals couldn't sustain the budget of moving everything from city to city. And so now you've got Coachella, the Coachella Valley. That's the only place yeah. it is. And you've got, you know, um, you know, name your festival. Yeah. You know, it's whether what, what, it's all tomorrow's parties, you know, all of these things that they're now South doing by one Southwest. Thing. Yeah. yeah. It's it just because it's, it's, when you look at the logistics and the money, it's just to break things down on, on a basic money level. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just, just take gas. I mean, yeah. you, I mean, just just take 16 that. Sixteen trucks, yeah. Sixteen, eighteen, yeah. eighteen wheelers. Yeah. How much gas does that take to go from Detroit to Chicago yeah. and Chicago to Boston and, yeah. and Boston within, to Buffalo within days? And, and then down it, to Orlando. I mean, it's and we're talking because you know you see Raw is on Monday night. Every Monday there's yeah. Raw. Then SmackDown. It's uh, we we taped on Tuesday. But we showed on Thursday or Friday. But then you have house shows. You have yeah. shows. So you have, you have Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So now you have shows that aren't televised, but you've got a lot of the talent there. So now you've got guys who are wrestling five, six times a week. Yeah. I mean, that really takes a toll. It takes a toll on you, on your car, mm-hmm. your mentality. And it's sort of, it also, believe it or not, I think it takes a toll on the audience. And I, I don't know if I'm out of school for saying this, but I think it's a time now where there's actually too much wrestling, yeah. at least on, on the big scale. Because when, growing up, we watched it on Channel 56. Yep, Saturdays. Saturday mornings, Channel 56. And, you know, if we, this is before VCR, and there was a yeah. time kids were VCRs, and before <laughs> the DVRs. The every, kids, they're like, what's a VCR? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. What's it, you know, and so, and if you missed the show, it was it. You, yeah. you were done. It was in the ether. So. You hear about it on Monday morning at school yeah, and from all the other oh, kids. Oh, I mean, so, Did you see Superfly Snooker no, jump off it, of that top oh, rope? If you missed that, forget it. You might as well hang your head in shame. Yeah. But now, you can just go, um, this every website, every blog, YouTube, yeah. and you could watch. The, so when you Monday night, it's three hours, and that's you're asking a lot of the of the wrestlers, of the creative team, of the announcers, mm-hmm. more the fans. You're asking a lot of the fans to sustain that excitement for three hours. Then you have another two hour show, and then so it, and you're asking a lot. So if you, if you cut back a little bit, every second, not every minute, but every second of TV time costs, mm-hmm. and you have to be very conscious about what I'm doing. What's how am I going to fill this this time? Was it TNN before TNT that had like the Friday? I'm going to catch heck for this now, but I'm going to call it. It was the Friday White Trash lineup. Oh. It was, I think, either ECW or, or TNA Wrestling, and then it was Tractor Pull. Oh, yeah. That's. And then Monster Trucks. Yeah, you know. But, oh, and Roller Derby. Oh, it was which is like, making a comeback, by the way. Yeah. Which is making a comeback. Oh, especially in LA. I mean, Roller Derby kind of never went away here. It's, well, you had. It, it, it's sort of. I, I don't. A friend of mine, Danny Wolf, who you should have one. Danny's a. Danny's a wrestling announcer. He just did a show in Santa Monica. He did an international Roller Derby show. Mm-hmm. And. Um, Danny has this finger on the pulse of, uh, of roller derby. That's something like, you know, like it was- it went Derby to, dolls are right out in El yeah, Serino, yeah, yeah. The derby dolls, but he was working some like hardcore Japanese, I mean, they take yeah. everything serious. I mean, there's no fooling around. I mean, Japanese wrestling, 
I mean, that, that's in, I've worked with some of those guys. I work at Ultimate yeah. Dragon. Those guys are intense. They don't screw around. Yeah. There's, no, there's no humor in the locker room there. No. No, there's no. There's, you very serious. Oh, very serious. You know your place in, in, in Japan. You really well, do. This, uh, we're we're going to take a quick break, and um, we're going to get back to a couple of things. But um, we're going to take a, a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors, and then uh, we'll be right back with Dan Madigan. We're going to talk a little bit more about you know locker room talk in just a moment right here on Pod Sequentialism with Matt Kennedy. Welcome back to Pod Sequentialism. I am, of course, your host, Matt Kennedy. I have with me uh, today Dan Madigan, a very good friend of mine, um, um, very, very well known in in the world of wrestling. Um, uh, initially, he was a grappler, um, has been a writer, was a, a director and producer for Monday Night Raw and SmackDown. And um, one thing that we started talking about a little bit is the attitude in the locker room. And this is kind of like the great unknown for a lot of fans, or it was until things became so broadcast that, um, I mean, now, even now, just compared to, and how long has it been since you've been out of WWE? Jeez, I think on like eight, nine, ten, eight eight or ten years. So already now it's like how much content is being produced specifically for websites, you know, how much is being done not just for YouTube, but their Vimeo channel or like a... A, they probably at this point, and I'm not, I'm not sure, have a WWE subscriber network. Oh, they do, like on Roku or something. Yeah, they do. It's a, which you know, um, which I use my friend's number by the way. To get, yeah. Uh, but no, it's you got to remember Vince when Vince bought up other promotions and territories, mm-hmm. he bought also the libraries, yeah. as many as he could. He bought uh, NWA, Smoky Mountain. I mean, he just had tons. So we're talking maybe. 50,000 hours of content. Yeah, that, I mean more. I mean, I used to go in his library. Some, I, mean, I, I would go there um, late at night. It was like I'm there anyway, and I'd order pizza and I'd get all the Bobby Heenan videos. Yeah. And, and looking all, for uh, Bruno and Abdul the Butcher. Ex, ex, oh yeah, yeah. I, it is, I'd look for Bruno, Abdul the Butcher, One Man Gang, you know, uh, Kamala, King Kong Bundy, Adrian, all the big guys. Mm-hmm. And I would sit down, I'd get a pizza, and I'd put these really huge, huge tapes in the deck and just watch like yeah. two, three in the morning. And it was, ju- and you were living. It was like a three-quarter inch master. Oh, like those the are huge broadcast tapes. Yeah, yeah you not, drop on your foot. VHS. No, you're gonna break your foot if you yeah. drop. Yeah. And and he has some massive library, and so, uh, which is a good because in a way he's keeping all this history. Yeah. Uh, because a lot, of the, a lot of the match, like a lot of the match was done. At, um, was it kinescope or, uh, out here? What was the? They film over. They kinescope. Kinescope, but they yeah. would film over some that. They just erase or film they over. tape over stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Mike LaBelle, his promotion. I mean, um, the Olympic Auditorium. They taped over the like moon landing. Yeah, I, I you know, I, like... you know, there's a Pruda film. What's this? I mean, yeah. you know, so they would it would drive me crazy. And, and um, like our friend Eric used to go to the Olympic Auditorium, and, and to me that is like the mecca because of all places. It's like Master Square Garden, it's the Boston Garden. It's like the Fillmore East mm-hmm. because they had wrestling, boxing. Roller derby and punk rock music. I mean, yeah. literally, I would I would have worked and never left that place. Yeah, I would have been there forever. And so Eric was there all the time. Another friend of mine, Kenny, was always there. I mean, yeah. Kenny used to see all the fights. Uh, and venues like that really aren't around anymore. Yeah, like that, that, that were just those are sort of gone. Um, now there's the the kind of more pure entertainment aspect of things. So at the Mayan, you have Lucha Vavoom boom. five times a year, yeah. which is um, Lucha Vavoom is a variety show. That includes um, masked and unmasked Mexican wrestling, yeah. so luchador type, um, acrobatic and, stuff, yeah, and, the and burlesque, burlesque, the yeah, girls, yeah. and a lot of comedic stuff, yeah. and um, and your know, musical performances. So there's there's a whole like kind of road show aspect to what mm-hmm. they do. It's incredibly popular. It sells out all the time. Yeah. They usually do three nights in a row or two nights in a row. Well, Valentine's Valentine's Day, and you know sometimes around Halloween. But yeah. I think they're doing it five times a year. I know that those girls were um, Liz and Rita. Yeah, nice, nice guy. I know that they're nice girls. And yeah. uh, and alumni from the Luz de Jesus. Yeah. Oh yeah. A lot of the cats from there. Yeah. Yep. And uh, my friend Tom Kenny. Mm-hmm. Sometimes Tom would do um, uh, host the show. He'd do the yeah. play by play. And some Oswald. of the people from the um, from the fish fry that we we've done. You mm-hmm. know, you've, we've had quite a few people that have also worked with Lucha. I know they were having meetings with Las Ve- in Las Vegas, and we're actually talking to Eric Idle about um, Eric Idle kind of being a permanent 
promoter for Lucha Vavoom really? in Las Vegas at a certain point. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Obviously, it hasn't happened, and no. so I don't know if that, that discussion because went it's, away. It's, it's really great. I mean, uh, you know Senior Amor? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he would do the music. He's a great disc, disc jockey. He'd do some great music and stuff there. And it's a great little... They use the mind. They really utilize it the best way. Yeah. And they bring in a lot of talent um, from Mexico. A lot of the yeah. guys I know, a lot of guys I work with and stuff. And it's funny. I would go to the Mayan Theater... Uh, and I'd watch. It's a whole different crowd. Yeah, whole different crowd. Yeah, it's s- not a wrestling crowd. No, it's not a wrestling. It's not a wrestling crowd. So you'd see all. I They're guess, all at Trump rallies. Yeah. What is it? What is it? They said about Morton Downey Jr.'s talk show was yeah. a talk show with a hockey crowd. Yeah, that's absolutely. It. But Morton himself, and I looked. I watched him. I used to watch him. I know a friend of mine was on that show, Teddy Arcidi, the yeah. powerlifter. He came in carrying Mort. Um, but he understood the same thing way Andy Kaufman understood the, about manipulation of the crowd. Performance art, performance yeah. art. It's performance art. And you know, it's very easy to get a crowd riled up and stuff. And, and you play, it's, it's like Wally George in a way. Yeah. These regional guys. And- well, with Wally George and, and to a greater extent, Morton Downey Jr., um, these are you know talk show shock hosts yeah, they were the first, of, of yeah. the 80s. Not even the, the first. Pioneers. Yeah. Joe Pine was there too, but not, yeah. as, not as severe as these guys. But um, Mort you know, drank his own Kool-Aid and he really only stayed at the top for about 18 months. I mean, we think of it as this very long era yeah. and it was gone in two years yeah you know yeah, he, he saw and then it, he he did that thing in the, the airport faking yeah. thing with the airport the, the, and the, 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 the nazis, nazis the, 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 and it's the same thing with the jerry springer i mean jerry yeah. i mean jerry had his own springer yeah. was a sensible guy who he had was, been the, the he mayor, was the mayor of, chicago. of Cleve, was it cleveland or cincinnati cincinnati St. We'll, we'll call it even go cincinnati cleveland we'll call it, we'll, somewhere and uh and yeah it was yeah, disgraced for um like he was caught with a um, a prostitute or something. Who has something happened? Yeah, <laughs> but um, but he still had like a very seriously toned, almost Phil Donahue type delivery. Yeah. And after Sally Jesse Raphael had a guest that um, with her show in Bananas, he kind of copied that format and started in insisting on booking guests that were going to get into fights and that became his MO and then it became a joke. Yeah, the high volatile show. I mean, yeah. his bouncer got a show. Yeah. Got, and and I, he had a show on last year, last season, I guess, called Tabloid. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was on an episode. Oh my God. I, I didn't know I was on it, but long story short is a friend of mine, uh, she produces for like Dateline mm-hmm. and, her, and her friend was, she says, I got this story about two twin Mexican midget wrestlers that were murdered by fat prostitutes. I know nothing about it. And she was called Dan Madigan. And I happened to know the case. I knew the wrestlers. And, <laughs> yeah. I, and so I, happened, I went on this show and talked about the... Uh, I try to spin it the best way possible. It's really, right. I, it's really hard to spin that in a positive light. <laughs> right, you know? right. But I didn't know at the time it was going to be um, a Jerry Springer show. They just said the, the show Tabloid. Right. So I went there and I talked. And later on, I, it wasn't until someone came and said, I saw you on TV that night. You were on Jerry Springer. I said, I was never on Jerry Springer. And I was I was at I was never on Jerry Springer. And, right. and he explained. I said, "Oh," and so he came in afterwards, and he put the you know the he bookends it he, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't know, but it, it once again it, it goes to top of the locker room. These two brothers, um, the the lifestyle they 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 um, they met the wrong girls at the wrong time, and mm-hmm. then, and it's just the wrong. But you know you're you're sitting around and you know it's Tijuana. You're a midget. You're beat up. She's ugly. It's three in the morning. Who's going to blame them? Right. I mean, who's going to ever come? I mean, that's the best you're going to get. I mean, so you can't blame these guys. And but the mo of these these two prostitutes actually those they did in this hotel so years was, before R. Kelly's in the closet. Oh, please! Yeah. They, these they've got nothing on these guys. Yeah. And they used to drug. They used to pick guys up and they would drug them, and, and they, these guys would pass on. They rob them. Yeah. Um, but they didn't take in consideration that these two two brothers were midgets. Right. Were in full size, so they used the exact same dosage they would use, and, and, and that's how they, they, they killed, they killed them. them both. Yeah, they killed them both and stuff, and that's just. And there's just so many different ways. It's just, a, it's just a, a business where you're traveling a lot, and you're, you know, you're drinking a lot because you're lonely, you're in pain. Mm-hmm. I mean, I myself, I was home twice in a year, mm-hmm. which uh, my wife loved it, but it was just, you know, <laughs> so I brought a lot of clothes. But I mean, just, I mean, there are guys who would sometimes will just go home maybe twice a month. Yeah, and they're on the road. I mean, we're talking twenty, thirty years. Yeah, and so you become like a gypsy. Yeah, and then you and, and then you're really around a bunch of guys who, everyone else is a mark. Everyone's an outsider. You become in this world. You're so ostracized that everyone who's not in the world, you you look at funny and you talk a different language. And that's that's what's interesting in that they must have known when they brought you in that here's somebody that the wrestlers are going to respect as opposed to some Johnny-come-lately writer 
who's been hired to write the shows who doesn't understand the mechanics because you do understand the mechanics because you have wrestled, um, you know the business, and you can talk to these guys. And I'm sure the first day they were kind of like, who's this guy you know, with oh, the, the a- camera? Absolutely. I mean, I, um, I always find it best to sit back, uh, let things happen, let them find out. And I never said... Um, I was talking to Kurt Angle. We get to know each other. We're talking a little. And I said, yeah, yeah I do a little grappling. I wrestle a little. You know, no one wrestles like Kurt won the gold medal. Yeah. So, you know, he's like, you're not going to you're not gonna pull a, the, you know, I wrestled by the new card, right? That's not yeah. going to happen. But I said, yeah, I wrestled for my dad. My dad wrestled some guys. And I said, he wrestled Doug Bluebaugh. And then Kurt looked at me and goes, your dad wrestled Doug Bluebaugh? I said, yeah. And, and, and you know, I said, Doug won the gold medal in 1960. And I said, yeah, my dad wrestled him for a long time in the Army. And he's like... And he just looked at me, gave him that look like, okay, all right. Then he, he knew. And then um, I was approached by um, Bob Hawley, mm-hmm. Hardcore Hawley. And he goes, we, we did our research on you. You know, it's like, we, and we finally used to used to do this. You wrestled with Gene LaBelle and this and go coach. I said, yeah. And, but I, I, I downplayed it, you know. Yeah. It's very hard for me to be humble. And I said, <laughs> yeah, but with that crew, you had, and they were like, okay. So I was like the only writer that wasn't a pro wrestler at the time. I wasn't like, you know, Michael Hayes was the wrestler before some of the guys. But I was the only wrestler, uh, only writer that they brought on that, I guess they were respected because I had done other things. The one thing that used to drive me crazy is I was sitting around the table, the creative table, and a lot of these guys who had the most athletic thing they'd ever done was like use a joystick. Yeah. And they're talking about some guy's talent in the ring, what he should do or shouldn't do. And at one point I said, you know, you know, it's kind of arrogant that you guys um, as physically fit as, you know, as a, as a sponge mm-hmm. and you're going to uh, critique someone's work. Now, if there's another guy in the room who's a wrestler, that's different. Yeah. But if you're not in the ring taking those bumps... And I never and I never critiqued anyone. It's not your spot. I mean, I would create the characters, the promos, the arcs. I would do everything. But the moment you step in the ring, that's your job. You do what you do. Yeah, my job is to put the. I'm not putting the match together. Yeah. But so you have to know your spot. So I, I really find it very offensive that some people would say his work is this, his work is that. Well, you don't know what these guys go through. Yeah. And so I find that, and I find this like it's like critics. Everyone's a critic. Yeah. About things, and I, you know, unless you've been there, and coming, my background was always. Uh, like comic books, horror movies. I was writing horror movies, different things. So it's sort of wrestling, sort of fit that milieu of storytelling, the yeah. over over the top dramatic storytelling. Now these guys in these meetings, this is in Hartford, Connecticut. Hartford, Connecticut. So Stan- Stanford. Stanford, Connecticut. Stanford. So they they weren't even traveling. Uh, some of us were. Like w- um, we would travel with Vince. Uh, one guy would always stay. I I always had to travel. I don't know why I was so lucky, but I, I was always traveling. <laughs> you were also segment producer. So. Yeah, I was doing the, yeah, I was doing the, uh, some segments for Raw and SmackDown. The way it was, was uh, the day of the show, it was all hands on deck. Yeah. Everyone's working. I mean, you're not sitting idly by. I mean, the very first day I was on the road, I thought I was going to sit by and watch how things happen. Oh, I'll just take it easy. Mm-hmm. They threw me the script, said, direct the scene. I was yeah. like, so I looked at this. I looked at the script upside down, inside out. I said, I said, I found my camera guy. I found my lighting guy, my stage manager. I said, let's get together and talk. And, you know, those guys, those stage managers and those guys, they really work hard. Those guys really, we're working under pressure. Yeah. We're doing, you know, sometimes we'll tape something for the live show, but sometimes we go do it live. Yeah. And if there's, if you make a mistake, you gotta, you got to learn. There's nothing worse than waiting for Vince to hit over Vince's voice over the walkie-talkie. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, so if you could work with Vince McMahon, you can work for anyone. Yeah. There's nothing, I mean, I can't shoot, I mean, it's not bragging, but it's like film school. Yeah. You know, we were shooting. That's I mean, what we said, working with Bill Lustig. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. That he assembled a really great team, and it was, uh, it was um, for some people, not the right environment. Yeah. But um, if you liked that kind of challenge of, of a, a very kinetic um, and possibly um, demanding demanding yeah. environment, then you would you were absolutely going to have success. And so when all of us left Blue Underground, we all set up our own companies. We all did pretty well. And I've always thanked Bill for that. And I thought it was great that you know oh. that I learned in that environment. People said it about Roger Corman. People you, said it about you, you know. You have to. You have to strive. I mean, I I I like Bill. I like, I see Bill through Steve a yeah. lot. Uh, Steve Catani. Uh, I think Bill's a great guy, but you're right because you gotta you're in you're in that environment where you either sink or you swim. Yeah. And you know, I thought I was doing good work there. They, they made you know, but I left out of personal reasons. But you, know, you really get to see sometimes you know you have limitations. You have time limitations. You have no we have no money to shoot. We were shooting backstage a lot, so you play with lighting. You play with angles. You start playing with stuff. You start. I started playing with my Mario Bava palette. You know, it's like yeah. I was playing with green lights and purple lights, and I was bouncing lights off off the Undertaker's face with certain things and you know sometimes you're doing a scene with this actually no dialogue but you're trying to get a evoke emotion mm-hmm. so it's how you bring the camera in how you move the camera how the lighting is and they, they all you're building your palette you're building your characters and stuff and you're building your story because you know it's still visual storytelling but you're also establishing a line look and so if you're not there one day 
and someone else is going to start shooting The Undertaker. Yeah. I mean, what a big shoe to fill if they don't know what you were doing. Like, if they weren't paying attention to this year to two year long process of setting up this new look of the interview with him at the different places that he's at. And I mean, this this is very important because this speaks the, to the consistency of filmmaking. No matter what you do, you know, it's like if you're shooting commercials, you're shooting a TV, that the, the look has to be the same. And so when you're bringing these changes in subtly over time, you know... It's not jarring, yeah. You know, it's not jarring, but yeah. then it's impossible to replace you find, you, it, unless people are paying attention. Yeah, I mean, there's the, he, he's one of these great characters where, um, and to his credit, he doesn't have to wrestle a lot now because he, he literally, his, his body's broken down. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean... Well, gosh, falling through the top of the fence uh, in the, uh, uh, the fight uh, with... Well, uh, he, he, threw, he threw Mick Foley Mick through Foley the... Mick Foley and the tooth went through his yeah. nose. Oh, it was just, yeah, I mean, and you figure these guys... Put, but the one thing about Taker is he was always, you know, backstage or in the ring before the crowds come, he's always the first guy in the ring, mm-hmm. training, working out, training guys. He's the last guy to get out, mm-hmm. literally. I mean, so we talk about a guy that, you know... Um, this is the this is a serious business, mm-hmm. and the, and and he has to think. And other guys, you know, who's the next guy would have passed the torch to? Yeah, I mean, this is it's it's like magicians. I mean, you, a lot of guys yeah. want to be it, but you can't do it. It's a very secretive world. I mean, there's things, and there's people that got the push that people didn't like getting the oh, push. Oh, there was well, we can talk about like like it's Bob Backlund. Yeah, that's one. Even that's one that Vin, boring wrestler of all yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, that's one that even Vince said to me. Vince goes, I I don't understand what my dad was thinking. I don't, yeah, because that was his dad who put that was his dad, Vince Senior, who pushed Bob back when it was um, great wrestler technical wrestler but you know wrestling ability is fantastic but you need that personality yeah because that's a different sport well, who's the dude with the he-man body that vince pushed and the guy went into mma oh brock yeah yeah Bro- well Bro- brock i worked yeah he's an interesting cat he's really um a dangerous guy yeah he's a dangerous guy but even before brock in, in our time he wasn't pulling punches and stuff like he didn't quite get it i don't think well he had a he, I was there. I was there in the room when Vince came in once. Um, it was right before WrestleMania, and he goes, "We lost Brock." Now I thought he said The Rock, and I knew The Rock was gone. I knew The Rock was, was doing guest spots, so it didn't sink in. Then I turned to my friend and go, "Did he say Brock?" Because we had we had basically almost like a year laid out with with building Brock, him up, with yeah. stuff, you know. So I'm like, oh wow, and and so we sat there. We sat there one day for like, I think it was seven hours with a big white erased chalkboard, and we literally devised uh, a whole year's with the word. I mean, it was grueling, but we weren't leaving that office until we had a game plan. Yeah. And that's, we came up with the idea of having a draft between the Raw and SmackDown to shake things up and stuff. But it shows that when, when one wrestler is so important to the business or to a storyline and he gets hurt, he leaves, he gets killed. I mean, you've got to really hustle and yeah. fill that in and stuff because everything's done on the, it's done right there. It's done on the fly some stuff, you know, and you look at the roster every Monday or Wednesday, we'd have to show, you look at the roster who's healthy yeah you know who's who who can perform and what can we do and then it's variations because it's like it's it's like you're painting you've got a palette you have so many colors in that palette and we say really the good guys the baby face and the bad guys the heel so a classic matchup is a bad guy good guy mm-hmm. and that's basic story it's Kane versus Abel it's the same thing and if two guys really click together and they really click well and they're a good matchup. They call them they're married. It's a marriage. We're, yeah. we're married, and and they play. And then this is the time before big TV. They would play the territory. They go around. They play the different cities in the territory, get the crowd hot. And then you know, if you think about it, you'd have one match in, in Cleveland. The good guy goes over. Next match, whatever. The bad guy goes over. Then you get the third match. Mm-hmm. And these guys, it's always two out of three match. You know. But then you get a really good thing going. It's a, we work well together. We draw the crowd. Why let this die? So now all of a sudden, it's very easy in wrestling and in storytelling for your good guy to turn bad. Yeah. It's almost, you need that to happen. And, and vice versa, the bad guy turns, it's called the face turn, a heel hurt. Yeah. And so now all of a sudden, you've had three matches where a good guy, bad guy go over. All of a sudden, something shifts. Bad guy turns good. It's very easy to turn someone bad or good. And then you bring a tag team partner. And so basically, from two guys and three matches, you can get 12 matches. Yeah. You can bring tag teams in. Guys can turn heel. And it's Interrupting other matches. Absolutely. And stuff. I mean, Vince said this to me when we were working with Kane at the time when Kane was um, stalking Lita. It's a... Yeah, he, it's a very interesting story. He was he impregnated leader against her will. I don't know what you'd call that, but uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, not consensual. And and um, and Kane was hated. Yeah, and he I mean, he was I mean, he was hated. 
And, Vince, and Lita was a very popular. Lita was very popular. She's very popular. Very. Um, she's great. Um, Athletic. Amy, could yeah. actually stand her own. Oh, and ring, she's a talented. Yeah, yeah. And Amy's really great. Came out of the um she, the, the she, brothers the, she, the, uh, Hardy, the Hardy Hardy brothers. Boys, yeah. yeah, the Hardy boys. And um, she worked with them. She she worked a lot. And Vince said to me, he "Goes Kane is smoldering hot. He's hated. We can turn him real good." I'm like, really? And it's true. Once you're that pinnacle, because, and now it's almost past hate. You just have this crazed passion, right? So it was interesting the way we did it. Uh, the angle was Kane had impregnated Lita, and all he wanted was a son to carry on his legacy. He wanted a son. That's my son. So he goes in the match, has this crazed, stalking rapist, you know, type of guy. And you hate this guy. But then during the match, Gene Snitsky comes in, interrupts. And Snitsky gets into a fight with Kane, and a chair gets pulled out. All of a sudden, Lita gets hurt. Lita loses the baby. And this is really harsh stuff to write. This is, yeah. I, mean, I, I was like, really, we're going we're gonna to do this? But it's its the same type of stuff you see in soap, soap operas, operas all the time. And, yeah. and, and the great thing, in, in one match, within the span of maybe five, six minutes, um, Kane went from this hated, stalking, rapist type of wrestler to a grieving father. He yeah. lost his child. And it's amazing right there and it happened. Like, oh, no. And so by proxy, G- Snitsky was a great heel. Under because- a mask, by the way. So this performance is a mask performance, this, right? This, no, he had the. Was the mask off at this point? It, Glenn had the mask. He had the mask off at the time. He would go back, but then the, the mask was off at this time. Okay. I, mean, I can't. Geez, I can't remember. When I was right, working on it, um, but he becomes this grieving father. Yeah. And that's amazing. Also, he leaves the ring. Is the one, and all of a sudden, Snitsky now has taken the heat, and the mantle is being the heel. So that dynamic changes very easily, and it doesn't take much for a good guy to become a bad guy. And I think in wrestling, I think. Um, I always work with the heels because I have that affinity to be that. But if you look at all storytelling, it's the bad guy or it's your heel that gets the job done. He's very Your heel active. puts over your baby face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but a baby face, a hero does nothing until the bad guy does something. Right. If you think of all... It's all, the, all reactionary. Yeah, it's all reactionary. It's, it's the, the villain, the bad guy, he wants something. I want the water rights to your ranch. I want to rob that bank. I want yeah. that title. I want, And he goes after it. And in his mind, he's justified what he wants. So he's very active. And it's the hero that sits back, reacts. And, you know, if you look at Shane... Without Jack Palance in the movie Shane, Alan Ladd just the kind of buckskin suit walking around. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. He, he needs that real, he needs his alter ego. And when you see a, a real a villain or a enemy, he has to mirror you very quickly. I mean, there's more to villains and heroes in wrestling and in storytelling. They have more in common they don't have in common. Yeah. So when you vanquish that party, that, that guy, you vanquish that dark party itself, at least that id. And when you take that into wrestling, this is because every great wrestler has gone both. I mean, look at Hulk Hogan. Hulk yeah. Hogan was the greatest hero of all time. And you do your take your vitamins and say your prayers yeah. and have Rick Derringer do your music. It's yeah. great. Then all of a sudden, he becomes Hollywood Hogan. He joins the NWO. He changed it. People were crying. When yeah. he, I mean, literally, he changed how people saw the business and himself. And that was like the biggest turn ever. It was Sergeant Slaughter. Sergeant Slaughter became, he started wearing, you know, the, the Arab headdress and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so it it only goes to prove that, you know, you, you can only take your character so far sometimes. You hit saturation point. Andre the Giant. Andre finished as a heel, if you think about it. WrestleMania three. Yeah, because it, he had to lose to Hogan. He lose to Hogan. Hated but, it. Didn't want to lose to Hogan. But, you know, but Andre, to his credit, realized that he just came out of back surgery. Yeah. Uh, he knew he always would say- That's a terrible match. Well- yeah, but but he what he did was he solidified Hogan as the guy. Yeah, Hogan, you, you're now going to run the mantle. You're going to run with it, and that's the way it's going to be. And because Vince said, you know, and uh, this is the guy's the future. And Andre always would say, he goes, listen, how many old giants do you know? Yeah, there aren't any. So he knew his time was ticking, yeah. and he did the right thing. And he put in, and when Hogan took it back then, it became astronomical. It it it, it had gone from local to regional to international. Yeah, it just blew it out of the water. Then, well, you know, Andre the Giant, of course, becomes you know the iconic symbol of Obey. You know, oh, which for, is uh, yeah, for Shepherd Ferry, Shepherd yeah. Ferry, and and becomes you know a, a major part of of American street art and a representation of of that classic era of um, of '90s street art coming out of you know he, he ended his career basically in 1983, 84, and the, um. And is more known to audiences today, probably for Princess Bride, yeah, than it's, for it's his just, which wrestling is, which, which career. Is rest, or, or they know now is uh, his great drinking stories to become yeah. because the internet, the legendary drinking. Story. I mean, I would, I, I was with guys that with it, with him drinking, yeah. and yeah, Andre sat down. He drank hundred beers one night. Yeah, I was like, I, yeah, but in 
But there was a big, but he was very, very generous, yep. you know, uh, to a teeth. What I heard is when you went out with Andre, you never brought your wallet. He paid for everything, whatever yep. it was. And, you know, he cared about his friends. And these are the guys in the business. And if you think about Andre, Andre's the guy that even if you don't know wrestling, you know Andre the Giant. Yeah. If you're going to start a promotion, you would kill to get Andre. I mean, he yeah. was doing it the $6 million man, yep. doing movies and stuff. So this is a guy that really, um, he fought Chuck Wepner. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the type of thing that, you know, the bigger than life personalities. But, but wrestling... You know, as people poo poo, it's always been on television. Wrestling and TV were made for each other. Yeah. Uh, gorgeous George Wagner has sold more TVs than Milton Berle. Yeah. Uncle Milton. I mean, the, my grandmother, one of the most, um, you know, religious people I've ever known. My my mother's mother would watch wrestling every week, and she'd be screaming yeah. at the television set, "Kill him! Yeah. Kill him!" And you know, and, and the, rest, the rest of the week, she was just she was Pious. at church every other day of the week or every day of the week. You know, saying a rosary and doing, you know, and the, she's strangling with the rosary after. <laughs> yeah, apparently, as a, a garot. But no, but that's it's very cathartic and stuff because you really you get to see these guys play out. You get to see a a great wrestler is someone. That's why Lucha Libre in Mexico is so popular because the guys who wear the mask are called the mascarados. Yeah, that could be anyone. Yeah, that could be me. That could be the guy over there. That could be Mason. That could be Q. It could be anyone. It could be anyone. And so you you put your perceptions behind that guy. And a lot of times, too, the mask represents something. Yeah. Like a lot of times in a match, like the the bad guy, he represents the government or the landowner or so, the, the landlord or something. And the guy wrestling him, he represents, you know, the virtue of this and that. So uh, symbolism has always been a major, major part yeah. of wrestling, always. And whether it's Japanese wrestling, Mexican wrestling, um, it's all storytelling. It's, you know, it's the components of storytelling. Yeah. And we just we just get you into the ring. And, you know, uh, all the stories, whether it's um, violence or some sexual overtones, whatever it is, it all get, it all culminates in the ring. Yeah. Or it should culminate. And then the idea is you're putting a match together. Say you have eight matches, you know, a card. You're putting a card together. You get eight matches. You give the fans 85, 90% what they want. Yeah. Because... You, they have to come back next week. Yeah, you, you can't save fifty. You have fifteen percent. You got to yeah, save. Yeah, you got to come back. You just can't give them everything. They have to come back next week. Well, speaking of coming back next week, why don't you hit me with some of the projects that uh, people can can look you up for now? You've written a couple books on wrestling. Yeah, I wrote uh, a book called Mondo Lucha Gogo. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hopper Collins put that out. Um, they came to me, and that's the one. Um, uh, Eric Caden helped me with. Yeah, Hollywood Book and Post. Uh, Eric opened up. Um, he gave me a lot of great posters and photos. Uh, I dedicated Eddie Guerrero. A lot of people helped me with that book. Um, uh, Ed McGinty was the head photographer, but Ed who was on Boardwalk Empire and stuff, yep. and he took some great shots for me. And um, Then I have a documentary. I'm in two documentaries. One's called Tales of the Masked Men. My friend Carlos Avila did. Yep. It's been on PBS. Uh, it's a great documentary. And I actually sound really smart in that one. And <laughs> and then I did it. I, did a, I wrote a documentary uh, Larry Dosimo produced and Brad Bemis was the director Brad just passed away unfortunately it's called uh, Viva Lucha Libre mm-hmm. and that's won a few awards and that documentary is playing June 25th at Glendora at the, uh, this is a library in Glendora oh wow and we're doing a Q&A and stuff and so I'm uh, reaching out to some friends of mine to come down but you know it's it's, an, it's a tight group of people but it's a story of uh, Lucha Libre and, uh, and Mexican wrestling it's it's very similar, but very different to American wrestling because mm-hmm. they take things, it's a little different down there. So I'm going to invite some people to come down and watch it. And there's some good guys to help me with the book. Like I get a, I get the nod to like a, the Mondo book. Um, my friend Runjan Chimber, Chiba, he's a, he's a professor in mm-hmm. Runjan, um, put some great articles. And Keith Rainville, who put out the magazine from Parts Unknown, he's from Boston yeah, too. Parts Unknown, so yeah. Keith, Keith really uh, helped, stepped up and helped some, put some great articles in the book. So the book was a collaborative effort. Um, Kevin Kleinrock, he ran Wrestling Society X. Uh, he's a big fan. He puts on um, shows and stuff as well. He's a big proponent of the book. So, you know, you got you give a nod to the people that helped you out and stuff. Yep, for sure. Know? And then sure. Uh, I wrote See No Evil, yep. that, that horror film for Lionsgate. Um, starring Kane. Starring Kane. WWE Films launched yeah, on yeah, that yeah, one yeah, film. Yeah, I'm, I'm patting myself on the back. <laughs> and you got to do the novelization. I wrote the no- yeah the novelization. I actually won an award for that. I, I didn't I didn't believe they gave awards off for that, but that was you know that was fun. That was actually fun writing that. That prompted me to do. My, I'm doing a novel now, mm. but that you know that prompted me to do that because I got, I got to go in the POV of the monster this time. Yeah. And then um, just been doing other pro. I, you know, like everyone else in this business, you do other projects, they fall apart, they fall yep. apart. So. 
I just been riding, doing my thing. And I'd rather do my own thing now. I'm so I'm, I'm sick and tired of jumping through hoops. Um, yep. At my age and my weight, I can't jump through any more hoops anymore. It's, just, <laughs> it's impossible to do that. So you also do a podcast though, too, right? Well, I did the po- I did the podcast. Um, I wanted to have Hunt. I was doing the podcast with my friend Paul McGee and another guy, and it just sort of fell apart. Um, it was one of these things with this. I came on as a guest once. Originally, Danny Wolf and Dan Farron were on that show, and Danny Wolf uh, invited me back on, um, and I had a great time. And then when I was invited again, Danny and Dan Farron had left the show, and there was someone else. And I, um, they, they asked me to take the show over. Yeah. And we were going good for a couple months, but then the the person who was the producer. I'm using those fake quotes here. Really didn't know what's going on, and it just became this became instead of fun, it became a real horror show. And, right. And I was putting the shows together. I was writing the content. I was doing different things. I was bringing wrestling and music and film and literature. I was just I was at every show. I talk about you know, you know Stan Kenton's music. I'd go into Frank Rosetta artwork and yeah. whatever. And well, that's it, why I'm I'm lucky. I've got Mason. Mason yeah. Booker is the producer and engineer of the show, and he's a pleasure to work with. And um, it's just somebody that you know. I have events. I invite Mason. I want to hang out. You know, it's yeah. it's and it shouldn't be that difficult. But I know that it a was lot difficult. Of times it is. Yeah. This, this person, this woman, actually, she pulled. I swear to God, she pulled this line to me. She goes, "I made you. I can break you." It was like some sort of <laughs> 1940s melodramatic. I said, and I started laughing literally in her face. And I hung up. I said, "Good luck." And I just hung up. And yeah. then, then the show disbanded after that. Because <laughs> I mean, I, it was it was fun to do. We we had some great. We had Sean Decker, who was on my friend yep. Sean's producer. He came on. Sean, he did. Um, uh, L.A. Slash, he was promoting that, and I had Rob Van Dam on. Yep. I had some really good guests, Johnny Lacusto, who works with uh, Championship Wrestling. I had some really fun guests, but, you know, I didn't have the crew you had, you yeah. know, the behind-the-scenes guy. I had some, you know, um, my buddy Paul and some other people. We, we worked well, but the, the people we were fighting against, it wasn't worth it. Yeah. And then, you know, you're not getting paid for this. I'm going to get this aggravation with this. I'm going to take a, a bus downtown all the time. Yeah. No, it's not worth it. So I just decided to focus on my writing. That's, yeah. That's the one thing, because... Um, you know, that's the one thing that I, I when I can do it, I do it well, mm-hmm. I think, and by myself. And I'm not answering to anybody. Yeah. You know, so that's the way it is. So um, it was, it was, it's been an interesting ride coming from a kid from Boston yep. watching wrestling and wrestling the creature double feature. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I end up working at horror movies and wrestling. WLVI. Oh, 56. We're, we're all the children of creature double feature. Oh, that's, yeah, that's, <laughs> it was a great, that that was, those were the, sh- every time I saw that American International pictures, the AIP. Yeah. Or hammer, I knew exactly I was going to be what, what I was going to watch. Yep. You know, so it's funny that wrestling when in, wrestling show was at twelve, and yep. one o'clock was Creature Feature, and that I, was our Saturday. That was that was it, and I ended up years later working in both mediums, and I, I realized I've wasted my life. Yeah, for me, <laughs> for me, it was like you know, uh, baseball games were at ten o'clock hmm. over in Cedarbrook or whatever, and so you get back from the baseball game in time for wrestling, and then it would be. Creature Double Feature, and then it's like four o'clock in the afternoon, you know, and then it's like we'd have these epic hide and go seek games in the neighborhood with like 15, 16 kids, and uh, then it was dinner time. Well, you had Saturday nights, you had in Channel 27 at 6 30, WHLL Worcester, Abbott Costello. Yeah. So you had Abbott Costello from 6 30 to like eight or nine, and then you had the movie Loft with yeah. Dana Hershey on Channel 38, 38. WSBK. Yeah, and, yeah. and the Heat always shows some great shows, he was a great, and then you had Fast Entertainment with Frank Averush yeah, on ABC. Yeah, and the, he, the ABC affiliate Channel yeah, Five. Yeah, and he used to want. He was the original Bozo. He was Bozo the Clown. Yeah. Frank, he'd come out. He'd come out set wearing a tuxedo and very classy looking. Yeah. Frank Averush. He sort of reminded of Al Michaels in a way. Yeah. And if you think, of, and he would have. And that's where, that's where I saw the classic films like in the Philadelphia Story, Citizen Kane. Yeah. And I saw the classic films and and Dana Hershey. He would show some of the grittiest seventy. Yeah. Yeah. Gritty shows, and then Fifty Six was all the AIP and Abigail Stella. The great stuff. And the Bari Boys. Yeah. I mean, so this is, so you, you really, back then, you could get education. And Channel 27 also had uh, Elvira. Oh, yeah. Later, yeah later on, yeah. And 56. And in, in Creature Double Feature for a little while, Son of Sven Gulli out of Chicago had taken over for a little bit. And I, I, I loved him. I thought he was yeah. fantastic. We had. And which, of course, brings us back to Gulardi. Gulardi, the cool ghoul. Lynn, Massachusetts. The cool ghoul, yeah. The yep. cool ghoul. And it was uh, Tim Conway was on that show. Yeah. Tim Conway was on uh, was on the Gulardi show. He was the cool guy. Which uh, was out of Ohio. Stay sick, baby. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, and it was 
once again, like wrestling was broken up territorially because they had local television, but every station had like a horror host, yep. which is a great thing, a great horror. We had one, we had Simon Sanctorum, we had, <laughs> and I would say it was this floating head as a kid, I see this floating head coming out, of the, and, I was like, oh, and I'd watch. I he watched, was doing a Zachalay. He you know, was really everyone, doing a Everyone was ripping each other, but yeah. that was, that was no one knew because you, you didn't know what was going on in other yeah. territories, so it was fantastic. But yeah. that was, I think, that was our... our uh, stomping ground for learning. Now, yeah. now you go on YouTube, you see everything. Yeah, which in a way it's kind of good, but it's, it's kind of bad. Good. It's easier to find stuff, and it's harder to find stuff. Yeah. But um, and that's a theme for another show. Yeah. But uh, I want to thank you for oh. for coming on and doing this, Dan. I hope it was entertaining, and I didn't put everyone to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure. You know, like I say, the um, wrestling is one of those things that I think is anomalous to people, and they don't understand. Like you say, you know, when you talk to Stephanie McMahon, it's like well, people write this. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, and there's there's a whole. It's really important who actually writes these segments yeah. and and who directs them, and who leads the the um the kind of company line look through these different eras of wrestling, and most of the people that have done that. Nobody knows their names. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like guys, um, guys that worked the Tonight Show. Yeah. I mean, you had Frank Cordova, but you know, um, but you had like basically, um, that was it. You you you, you were a soldier, mm-hmm. and you perform. You do the show. Yeah. And that was you were expected of you and stuff. And then listen, I I respect Vince. I always respect Vince. Uh, Vince loves the business. He loves mm-hmm. the fan. I mean, he legitimately loves the business of fans. And I respect the guy because he built his empire. He didn't wasn't handed to him. He right. bought it from his dad. He didn't wasn't handed down to him. And so that's the McMahon I'll always respect and stuff. And, um, you know, I learned. I learned how to uh, work under pressure. I, I learned how to film. I know which way to look out of a camera now. Yeah. You know, and that's about basically all my <laughs> skill level at that point. But, you know, it, you meet some good people, you get some great stories, and then you it's a part of your life as a creative person. You, you bank it and you go on to the next thing. Yep. You know? And that's what we're going to do. We're going to bank this show. And I want to thank everybody for listening. Again, this has been Pod Sequentialism. I am your host, Matt Kennedy, and I look forward to speaking to you all again. Love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.